You're listening to Out of Line with Kat Poland, where I interview those who innovate, deviate, and create their own path. Today, I am talking to Joseph Shepard. He is the Director of Multicultural Engagement and Campus Life at Newman University in Wichita, Kansas, but he's worn a lot of other hats in his short time on this earth. Um, he was the, he's worked at the Kansas Leadership Center, uh, former student body president at Wichita State University, um, former Men of Excellence program facilitator. He's just, he's done a lot. He's run for the school board before. He's currently running for Wichita City Council. Um, you know, if you were looking for the picture of civic and community engagement, you would find a picture of Joseph. And I reached out to him to see if he would talk to me because I was just very drawn to his energy and the types of social media posts he would make. Um, and I feel like he's just got this ability to, um, you know, he's just a loving, warm, outgoing person. And at the same time, um, has some very important truths that he speaks into the community. And um, I think that's a that's a difficult, difficult balance for a lot of people to, to choose to be a loving person in the face of some extreme challenges. And I'm so glad I sat down and had this conversation with him. I think that you'll be glad that you listened to it. I think you'll want to have a notepad handy and <laughs> write down a lot of the, the gems that he says. And um, I hope you enjoy. I appreciate you being on here with me today. And, yeah, I'm going to be better about sticking to questions that I have okay. for you because I tend to just get lost in conversation and then I need to circle back around. So yeah, no worries. Okay. Let's uh, start with just uh, who are you? Who's Joseph Shepard? Joseph Shepard is someone who has truly evolved from his past, his past pain, his past experiences his past success, but also his past failures. And I would say more so the failures than the success. Um, Joseph Shepard is a servant leader who loves hard and cares hard and works hard. And uh, truly, I believe Joseph Shepard is someone who believes in doing good, all the good you can while you can to make a difference in all the areas that you can. Well, I, I just want to say like, just from... Um, your social media posts, you know, I gathered like kind of what you're saying about yourself and your story. It just made me want to know more about you, get to know you. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I, so I went and I listened to your uh, testimony you gave, was it last week? Yes. yes. Faithful Fridays. Um, wow. That was very powerful. Um, mm-hmm. And educated me more about you and who you are. Like you said, that, that pain in your background, you talk about being homeless mm-hmm. and um, you know, it's, well, it's not something I've experienced myself. Um, I mean, I just think, wow, you know, the, the voice you are in the community and the people you connect with to have that in your past, like you, you were talking about, um, you know, your favorite Bible verse and um, you know, God saying, you know, I, I plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Um, talk to me about how that experience has shaped your empathy for others and, um, 
giving you that connection point when someone says, you don't, you don't get it, man. I've had hard times. You can't know. And you can say, well, I don't know your struggles, but here are mine. And how has that helped you connect with people? Yeah. So being homeless at an age where I could remember, I think I was like fairly young in elementary school, but old enough to remember um, those, those situations really shaped, as you have said, my passion to, to serve others and to give back to those who are less fortunate and to not look at people who are less fortunate, like they are problems to solve, but people with feelings and human flesh, just like our own with stories, just like we are, um, you know, that experience, you know, being homeless and getting washed up in a McDonald's restaurant for months on end at one point in my childhood, really, uh, and then going to school, might I add, and then acting like everything was completely okay, right? Uh, because you didn't want the school to know because, you know, we were taught that, you know, if, if the school finds out, then this fear of being taken away from my mother, my biological mother, instead of this idea that the system comes in and helps rescue the family, right? Um, that really scared me and my siblings. And so that really helped me understand that people are going through battles. Some you see, some you don't see. Um, but more importantly, to be kind when you can um, to everyone that you meet and interact with, even those people who may come across as not so nice and not so kind, but to take a step back and be curious and ask yourself what happened in this person's life to shape their ideology, to shape their beliefs, to shape their experiences, and to be curious to lean in and to get to know people for who they are and the stories that they bring to the table. Um, that's what my struggles taught me. Um, I have a story, but I've also found that when I share my story, I am unbeknownst to me liberating others to do the same. And I think that that then creates this effect of helping other people find the similarities and the parallels in their stories so that they understand that even though you may not look like that person, even though you may not have the same background as that person, you still have similarities and we are all connected. And the thread that connects us is that we all have a story. That's that's one of the many threads that connects us. And I really admire your your courage to love in spite of being hurt mm -hmm. and the potential to be hurt by mm -hmm. um, opening yourself up and being vulnerable, but it takes such courage to keep stepping out in love. One of the things I like um, about you is it seems that you have a way of speaking the truth, but in love that mm -hmm. you'll say some hard things and you'll speak some hard truths, but it's, um, it's wrapped in love, you know? And so, um, I think it's a, I won't say an easier pill to swallow, but I'll say a more effective <laughs> pill to swallow that, um, it can help. It can help really help to reach people. Um, something you said about being curious about others. Have you watched uh, Ted Lasso? I've not. Oh, okay. You have to watch Ted Lasso. It's on Apple TV. Um, but anyways, he talks in there about, uh, being less judgmental and being more curious. Mm -hmm. And I think, um, I think that's something I struggled with, especially this past year, just with such a heated political climate. And then you throw a pandemic on top of it. Everybody's extremely stressed out. Like I, I can be really judgmental. And um, <laughs> you wrote a post a while back about talking about rule, 
rural Kansans or rural Americans and mm-hmm. struggles that they have. And it really got to me because I think I can even be um, extremely judgmental um, towards the people that I grew up with and where I'm mm-hmm. from. Mm-hmm. And um, cause I feel, I feel a sense of anger that I know, how could they feel this way? How could they act this way? But at the same time, forgetting that they don't have the same friends I do. They don't have the same connections I do. They don't have the same worldview that I do necessarily. So um, talk to me more about, you know, you're going to step into politics. This is your first stepping into politics, right? Is running for city council or have you done it in the past? So I ran for school board in 2019. And, you know, that's that, that probably isn't education shouldn't be politicized, but it is. And so a lot of people do see that as a political role, but you know, what energized me about that is education changed my life. And obviously I work in education right now. And so um, that's a big passion of mine is making sure that we provide a quality education to as many young people as we can, because I think that's how we break generational curses. That's how we break generational poverty. Um, But more importantly, that's how we empower our our young people, our future workforce like me to uh, see their potential and help them tap into their potential and their dreams. So now I am applying to fill the vacancy on the Wichita City Council for District 3. And one of the reasons why um, I really stepped up to do that is one, the community reached out to me, members of the community reached out and asked, hey, I think you'd be great at this and you should do it. And after days of telling myself no, I had to take a step back and say, well, why not me? Um, the community that I live in, District 3, is very reflective of the neighborhood that I grew up in as a child. The <clears throat> strengths and beauties um, and I'm going to say strengths and beauties first uh, before I say the uh, challenges, because I think when people think about District 3, they always think about the challenges first. But I want to I want to focus on the strengths and beauty of District 3. Um, but the strengths and beauty of our community really uh, are identical to the, to the strengths and beauty that I had in my neighborhood as a child. You know, we may not have had <clears throat> a lot of flashy entertainment things to do in our community. But what we did have was parks to go play at with our friends. What we did have was um, neighbors and community members who knew us and we knew them. And when a storm happened or very similar to what we are seeing happening in our community now, pipes are frozen, members of the community came and checked up on us. And that is what you have in District 3. And, And really, um, it is the embodiment of who I am as a person, this idea that We don't necessarily always need the government to come in and solve our problems, but we are strong and willing enough, willing enough to do the hard adaptive work to change our circumstances for ourselves. But we want the the government to be a resource for us to connect us to those things that we need to do the work. Um, And that's what energizes me about the potential opportunity to serve in this capacity and work alongside the great people of District 3 is the strengths and the beauties and the opportunities to take on the challenges uh, alongside the people of the district who care so much about the community. So I'm not, I don't live in Wichita. I've done a lot of work in Wichita. I live in Hutchinson, but I moved from Conway Springs, which is a rural town. So when you say Mm -hmm. district three, I'll be honest, I have no idea. (laughs) I have no idea where that means in in Wichita. So help me understand where that is. Yeah, so a lot of people refer to District 3 as south of Kellogg. I will tell you, we have six districts in Wichita. And so when you say south of Kellogg, well, that's not always just District 3, but primarily a large part of it is the South Broadway corridor, uh, south of Kellogg area, and um, 
that's the best way that I can explain it without giving exact directions. I'm, I'm terrible at that and I'm going <laughs> to own that. And so I would hate to try to describe that and have people going, what? Yeah, no. And I, I think that kind of helps me because there's, you know, different areas have different stereotypes. Like you said, mm-hmm. I love that, how you dress, you know, the strengths and the beauties. And, um, and that actually kind of reminds me of, of rural Kansas or rural America that yeah. you don't have a lot of financial resources and you have people living in extreme poverty and um you do have to rely on each other and help each other um yeah so okay i'm gonna um jump back see i'm getting lost in conversation <laughs> jump back over to my to my questions here um so i'm curious how you perceive trying to you know we, we kind of hear those terms about reaching across the aisle or working together or compromising and we've come to a place, you know, sometimes understandably so where even the term of being a moderate or somebody who is trying to build bridges is seen negatively by their own party or their own um, group of people. I mean, how do you, how do you address that? I mean, because in, in my mind, I keep going back to, well, if we, I understand why, you know, there's real hurt and there's real pain and real trauma, and we have to be honest about that and not sweep it under the rug. But at the same time, if we, aren't willing to at least try what is the alternative total annihilation mm-hmm. you know i mean how do you how do, how do you walk forward in in your role trying to address that pain and that trauma and that hurt but also like i said again having the courage to love I mean, how do you how yeah. Yeah. And so for me, I don't I think this level of dualistic thinking has really hurt our nation drastically. It doesn't have to be. And or I mean, it doesn't have to be this or that. It can be yes. And um, and or and I think we have to get back to that level of thinking. Now, there are some times where compromise is just not a thing. I mean, when it comes to my humanity, when it comes to my identity, um, no. We can't. We cannot compromise those things. Uh, when when policies or procedures or people are threatening my mere existence and attacking my mere existence, and refuse to acknowledge that there are are systems that do that or people that do that, and they don't want to acknowledge that, there's no compromising with that. But there are other issues that traditionally people walk away from when someone has an opposing view that I think we can sit down, have a tough conversation, and if nothing else, have the opportunity to engage with one another and have the opportunity to listen to each other's stories and um, understand how their experiences have shaped their beliefs. Mm -hmm. And I think when we open ourselves up to listening to other people's stories and how those stories have shaped their beliefs, um, it allows us to see the humanity in everyone. Mm -hmm. And I think that is the correlating, again, thread that connects us is that we are all human. We all have stories. We all have challenges. And we experience those challenges differently. Um, but collectively, we all rise from those challenges. And so under being able to have that sip of coffee with a friend that thinks very differently than you or sit down and enjoy a libation or a beer uh, with someone who thinks differently than you and being able to say, you know what, I don't agree with you, but I respect the fact that you were able to open up yourself to me. And we can shake hands, depart as friends, knowing that we may not agree on this, but we are able to work together. And I have many friends like that in my life. And I think you said something important, too, about our identities versus just uh, our politics and policies. And I think 
we've gotten to the point to where, you know, there are some things that are people's true identity that they can't change about themselves. And then there are things that are just policy choices that, you know, five years down the road, they could change their mind on. So you think it's possible, like, you know, it sounds to me like you're saying, you're describing that you're trying to see the human and not their policies that they've adopted. Yeah, I try not to allow the policies and I, and I want to be very careful that there are some policies that are enacted and that are proposed that do attack the mere existence of, of people and who they are and their identity. And those are, those are the policies that I cannot defend or overlook. But there are policies that kind of rub people the wrong way or rub me the wrong way where I try not to allow those policies to define who that person is as an individual and as a leader. Um, and I would hope that people don't do this, that, that for me, you know, there are some things that I advocate for or some projects that I would advocate for that maybe people wouldn't understand or wouldn't value or wouldn't like. And I would hope that they would not take the fact that they don't like those policies or projects and say, I don't like him as a person. It's not me you don't like, it's the policy you don't like. Let's separate that, right? Because when you, when you remove me out of this leadership role, do you know who Joseph is? Do you know who I am as a person? Do you know my story? Do you know the struggles I've had? Do you know what I care about? Do you know why I'm passionate about why what I'm passionate about? And so I think we have to, again, be able to lean in and get to know people past the policies they propose when you have the emotional and spiritual capacity to do so. But we've got to lean in more consistently and be willing and, and courageous enough to have those conversations, but not at the expense of our own mental health, emotional health, spiritual health. There is a balance, but it is possible to do it. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah, I, um, I've been more and more convicted just by my own Christian faith recently, like, okay, what does it mean to follow Christ? What does it mean to be a Christian? Because I, I, you know, there's this very um, westernized version of Christianity, um, you know, Republican Jesus. And it just has kind of sent me into a, a tailspin as far as my faith journey. And I have to come out of that and go, wait a second, like, you know, that church doesn't own God. And mm -hmm. um, <laughs> yes. I, I have just as much say and voice in this faith as anybody else. Cause I, I got to a place mm -hmm. where I was just very intimidated in a way. I mean, I have to admit that I was intimidated. Well, I don't, I don't have all the Bible verses, you know, memorized and, and I don't know how to answer for this and for that. And to say, you know, no, but I, I guess, you know, I was going to, is just feeling very convicted that, um, there have been times I've, I've been unloving towards others. Mm -hmm. And, and I, I've, I said recently, you know, it's okay when um, injustice makes me angry, that is, mm -hmm. okay. but it's not okay when my anger makes me unjust. Amen. And I have been trying to really look at my own heart and my own personal interactions and go, okay, I can't, I can't fix anybody else, but I can, you know, choose to love every day. And what does that love look like? Um, and so that's, again, like I said, I just really admire your voice and your presence because um, like I said, it's hard. It takes courage. Yeah. And, you know, when I see somebody like you out there going, okay, we're going to try again. We're going to like love and mm -hmm. make this choice to love again. Um, love them anyway. Love them anyway. And that's a, it's a hard choice to make to love despite the injustice to love in spite of people's um, 
purposeful attacks on you, it, it is hard. Um, and no one is required to do it. Let me be very clear. No one is required to do it. Um, but for me personally, uh, I get a sense of peace when I decide to say, you know what? I see you for who you are. I'm going to love you anyways. And, and I want to be very clear that loving someone anyways doesn't always necessarily mean I'm going to continue to engage and pretend like nothing ever happened or nothing is ever, nothing is wrong. Loving anyways is, is loving myself and saying, instead of putting all this energy on you and the wrong that you've done to me, I'm going to, I'm going to refocus. I'm going to put that energy back into myself. And I'm going to ask myself, what can I learn from this particular situation or this bad relationship or this bad friendship or this bad experience? And, and in, instead of taking my frustrations out on you, though I feel you deserve it, it's not worth my peace. So loving people anyways, despite the wrongdoing, isn't always saying, okay, we can be friends till you've done me wrong, right? I, I want to be very clear about that, but it's about moving forward for you despite the roadblocks that the enemy tried to put in your way to stop you from getting to your destination. And that is, that is where we are able to find our power. It's through love. And sometimes loving other people is about really loving ourselves enough to move forward and not focus on the wrongdoing that's been done. Now, I think you said a couple of really important things there. One of them was you, you, no one has to do it. And that's the thing about free will and love is if, um, you know, if God forced us to love him, it'd be brainwashing. We'd be robots. Like, you know, we have that choice to love him and love others. And, um, you know, my own family's experience, what we went through, my older brother, we grew up Catholic years and years, and years, hundreds of years. Um, my older brother at 12 years old was molested by a priest. He mm. later took his own life at 29. My family found out so the church had covered it up and moved him around and the pedophile around. And so it was like, we had got a grenade thrown in the middle of our faith life. And, and, you know, my mom would have people come up to her in the, in our small town grocery store and say, you have to forgive, you must forgive. Mm. And, you know, that, I think it's so harmful when we, um, you know, we have to let people come to that place themselves. And like you said, realize it's from a place of loving themselves and not this forced, not this forced fake forgiveness, which does nobody any good. Mm-hmm. Um, and I found too, it's like, and I've, you know, in um, different personal ra- interactions in my life, at least the, it leads to that like passive aggressiveness where, like you said, you're going to put up a front and smile like you're fine, but your, you know, your thought life you're having about that person. That's when you're in the shower and you're having these anger fantasies. Like I would have said this and I should have said that. And you don't, you don't have that. You don't have that inner peace. Um, and have, have you like in, in your community work that you've done, how do you encourage people to seek forgiveness and peace and reconciliation for themselves um, without, you know, cause you're going to have that pushback of, I can't, I can't do that because then, you know, that they don't deserve that forgiveness. They don't deserve that love. Yeah. It's for me, it's about helping people unpack their trauma. Um, I work at an institution where I I work alongside students every day who are going through challenges, some unimaginable. Mm. And, and the, the key to helping them overcome that, those situations and circumstances is asking them why they feel hurt why they feel impacted by the circumstance and then helping them unpack that trauma. And I will even speak for me personally. Um, Sometimes we need to recognize that our culture and our communities do not promote 
um, the spiritual and mental advancement of, of oneself. Um, as a black man who uh, was very engaged and, and still is very engaged in the black community, um, mental health was, was a taboo. Pray about it. You'll be okay. You're fine. You're not really bothered. You're being dramatic. I mean, I even hear that today. Still, you're just being dramatic because people just assume, oh, because I'm, I'm black and I'm male, I'm supposed to be strong because that's what society has taught us. And it's what we're portrayed as. But the truth of the matter is that no, Joseph has some trauma from his childhood that he has to unpack in order to be able to recognize how to liberate himself and in liberating myself, how I liberate other people. Because if I don't unpack my trauma, right, the way I show up to work is vastly different than how I would show up to work if if I was able to understand why I'm triggered when certain people talk to me the, the way they do or how I show up in community activism and advocacy, right? Understanding why I feel so passionate about, you know, protecting the low-income communities and those young people who deserve a fair shot and a fair shake out of quality education, right? I have to unpack the trauma and understand why it matters to me and what experiences I have in order to understand why I'm hurt by the experiences that I see before me. Mm -hmm. So, um, getting getting help and understanding that seeking a professional is not a bad thing. I I'm, I see a therapist um, every two weeks and it is so liberating. It is so freeing to be able to say, you know what? I was hurt by this and now I understand why I was hurt by it. And here's how, what I need to do to go from being hurt to being healed so I can show up in these spaces the best way that I can. Yeah, I'm so glad to talk about mental health and it's something I'm very passionate about, um, you know, I struggle with um, various different mental health issues. And um, I think especially, you know, your voice is so important to talk about, you know, you're a man, first of all, because men are discouraged from seeking mental health. You're a black man. Like you said, that community, that culture, that's um, that frowned upon. I have, matter of fact, I'm going to have a friend of mine on here in a couple of weeks. Her name's Cindy. Um, and she's a black therapist and that's, she talks about, you know, she's talking on Facebook, like trying to encourage the community to that. That's okay to seek help. And then third being a Christian, um, there is this, for whatever reason, you know, the stigma that that illness is separate and it's a little box over here. So, you know, sort of, so for example, I look at you, you're wearing glasses. Can, mm -hmm. like, can you imagine someone, you know, someone telling you don't seek mental health help, you know, you're fine, you pray it away. And you, you told them to remove their glasses. They don't need their glasses. They right. can see, like God can heal their eyes. <laughs> you know, like, right. And you're like, that's ridiculous. No, it's not, it's not any different, mm -hmm. you know? Um, yeah. So I could get on a whole soapbox about that. Cause I feel like it just, it keeps people held back from sometimes even really simple fixes for their mental health. Like I recently got some blood work done and I was severely low in vitamin D and omega mm -hmm. And I started taking those supplements. I feel so much better. And I'm still on my Zoloft. I still need my, right. but like, I just imagine people just, and not, not that God can't fix it because, but it's, it's just like any other health issue. Okay. See, now I'm yeah. faith without works is dead. We've, we've got to do our part to meet God halfway. I know. And he's given us these tools and these resources and to just, just to deny those. It's so frustrating to me. Um, Okay, so I want to talk about another another post that you made um, a while back that I thought was really important. And like I said, it's kind of one of those things that it was one of those hard truths that needs to be said. But mm -hmm. like I said, you 
you're such a loving person. Um, uh, you were talking about, um, I'm just going to kind of reread your post back to you talking about, uh, Dr. King and accountability and whitewashing the message. Nice. Um, I was so glad to see that message and it's something I was struggling with, you know, that you see, um, people who, um, vilify the black lives matters movement mm-hmm. and yet they're going to make that post with the Dr. King quote at the same time. And it, it's, it's, it's frustrating to me. I can't even imagine how frustrating it is to you. Um, but you talked about performative allyship and, um, I think that's a term that not everybody is familiar with, but I think it's really, really important. Um, talk to me about what you mean when you say performative allyship. Yeah, I think some people want to appear to be an ally, and so they say all the right things, and they uh, connect with all the right communities, right? All the marginalized communities, and they're present in these communities, and they say all these things, but behind closed doors, when given the opportunity to advance certain projects or policies that will advance those communities, they have every reason as to why it can't happen. And or they're making comments behind closed doors when they think people aren't listening or looking that don't align with their public actions. And I think that is performative allyship, you know, Uh, particularly when we talk about Dr. King's message, you know, we have to be very careful. We have to recognize Dr. King's dream but also some of the steps that he took to get to that dream, to make sure that that dream came to fruition. And the truth be told is a lot of those steps that Dr. King had to take and did take, it would make a lot of us uncomfortable. It does make a lot of us uncomfortable because several of those steps um, and those tactics are being used in movements today. I'm not here to justify or to defend rioting or looting. I'm I'm not here to defend or persecute. Uh, What I'm here to say is that we cannot say that we believe in the dream and that we believe in what Dr. King stood for Um, and also not recognize that, you know, in 2021, we are still working towards the dream because people are still not getting a fair shot and fair shake at affordable housing, at health care, at, you know, job opportunities, at being able to simply breathe and live. I mean, these are these are basic human rights and functions that make our community strong collectively when everyone has the opportunity to buy in um, that people are not getting at an equitable rate. And so having the opportunity to work in, in diversity, equity, and inclusion, I think it's so important that when we share the narrative of civil rights leaders and activists, that we share the good and the, and the part of their story that kind of makes us a little uncomfortable. Right. Wichita loves to talk about the Dockham sit in. We we love to talk about how it was young people that led the Dockham sit in. Yet, where's the young representation across our city in in many, many boards, um, in many elected positions, um, in senior level positions? We can't acknowledge that young people led the nationwide sit-in, the first nationwide sit-in, and then in that same breath, come up with every reason as to why someone's age is a reason why they're not prepared for a job or their lack of experiences, why they're not prepared for a role in a community organization. So we just have to be very careful. Another example I will use is Hattie McDaniel, a very famous uh, award-winning actress from Wichita, Black woman, 
a lot of people love to talk about Hattie McDaniel and what she was able to press her way through to get where she was. Nobody talks about how she was treated in the industry. Nobody talks about the pain that she had to put up with. Um, we, cannot, we can no longer share the good without sharing the bad. Let's share what these people had to press their way through so people can understand the totality of their strength. Because for Dr. King to, to push through, to push through being spit on, to push through his house being bombed, to push through being threatened to be killed and his wife to be threatened to be killed and his kids to be killed, to push through that and still achieve what he achieved, that is beyond greatness. But why is it that people of color or people from marginalized communities always have to go beyond the expectation of greatness to be successful? Mm -hmm. no. That's a critical question we have to ask ourselves. You know, um, I'm going to go back to things you just said, but what you just said there, you have to push beyond. I, I will tell you this. So um, I'm aspiring to be a children's book author. Awesome. Uh, yeah, I have an agent. I'm super excited. So we're trying to get a publisher, editor to buy it. And I mean, you know, I, I'm a writer. I've been a writer for a long time. I work hard. I will tell you that my black peers in the industry work twice as hard as I do. Mm -hmm. They have so much more hustle and I'm, I'm, I'm exhausted just watching everything they're having to do to be like here with me. And I, so yeah, I, I totally see what you're saying. And like I said, I don't, I don't know that I've always seen it, you know, mm -hmm. like it's this evolution over time you go, Oh crap. Like, like I said, they're hustling harder. <laughs> they're working harder. Um, mm -hmm. And yet I'm cheering for them and rooting for them at the same time to go, wow, you know, like, yes, I hope that, hope they get a book deal before me because they work <laughs> a heck of a lot harder. Mm -hmm. um, so going back to what you're just saying about that, that narrative of the success, and we want to talk about the good things without talking about all the pain and trauma along the way. Mm -hmm. I think it, it gives this false perception that it was just so simple. It was mm -hmm. so easy. Well, if, if they could only act like Dr. King, well, they are, but you forgot about all this mm -hmm. other stuff or they are facing. And I think um, that doesn't do anybody any good when people think all of a sudden fingers were snapped and it happened because mm -hmm. as you know, as you know, like these movements, they take years and years and years and they take time. Um, not that they should, but that's the way that's the yeah. way it's gone. Um. I think too. So I was listening to um, Brene Brown's dare to lead podcast today. I love Brene Brown, just huge Brene Brown fangirl. Mm -hmm. I like how, I like how she seems to open herself up to learning and to being kind of called in to, to change. And um, she had a woman on um, Echo Bethia and she talked about um how often white people want to, they have this sudden sense of urgency or yeah. like all of a sudden, like, Oh, all, like the flight bulb goes off and they're like, yeah, we need to act. And they rush into action without thinking of um, the best way to, and I was like, I felt pretty convicted by that. Cause I know that I've, I thought, Oh, I'm going to, I'm going to help. I'm going to do something. Yeah. And it's, it's one thing to have good intention, but to act with intention yes. is different. And because you have to remove your ego and go, oh, yeah. okay, who do I need to be listening to? Whose voice do I need to elevate? So I thought that was really important. And um, I didn't know if, if that's something that you think will be important for people to understand that you can have all the best intentions in the world, mm -hmm. but if you're not acting with intention, you're not going to have the impact that you hope to have. 
Right. Intent versus impact. Right. Yeah. You know, um, a lot of people, I will say that every movement needs allies. I mean, we can look back at the women's suffrage movement. We saw that they needed allies. We can look at back at the civil rights movement. They needed allies. We can look today at the Black Lives Matter movement, need allies, right? I think the difference is that particularly people who need allies don't necessarily don't think they don't need allies, but the allies need to start asking the people that are being impacted by these inequitable systems, where do you want my allyship to show up and how do you want my allyship to show up? Because we, sh- we shouldn't assume that black people want white people to uh, be the face of the movement with black people. We shouldn't assume that, you know, black people want uh, their allies to, you know, be sharing this narrative or to be having conversations with political leaders or leaders of, with influence on their behalf. Just like women probably didn't want men to assume that they needed them in order for the Women's Suffrage Act to go through. Women decided to build our notoriety and credibility and legitimacy so that people understand we're taking this serious, we are gonna get men on our side. They chose how they wanted their allies to show up and where they wanted them to show up. And I think we have to take some notes from the past and our history again, and see how allyship truly works effectively. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think too, I think it helps to, cause you've got people on the other side of the spectrum who they, they think it's, they think it's BS. They think they're, you know, people are just making this stuff up. And I think part of what they're seeing is like you said, the performative allyship, they see the hypocrisy mm-hmm. and they don't see it being called out. And they see sometimes people being praised for just um, what what do they call it? The um, oh, okay, there's a term for it: virtue signaling, <laughs> whatever it is. Like, mm-hmm. and they know that person isn't the real deal. They know that, and so I think it is important to mm-hmm. call that out, call it in, wherever you want to call it, because there is that hypocrisy there. And I also see, as I'm sure you know, you've run into time and time again. We say we want the voices at you know at the table, mm-hmm. but if we're not giving up the seats, you know, <laughs> we're not stepping back and letting right. them lead. Right. And that can be compared to, you know, uh, having more young people in positions of authority, right? Um, if there are seasoned people in the game, right, who have that intellectual knowledge, right, who that intellectual knowledge is of value. But if that person is never willing to step back in or help guide a younger person or train a younger person on how to be prepared for that role, then we'll never see young people stepping into these positions, right? We have to have allies in the game who are willing to say, you know what, I see potential in this person. How do I help groom them to transition? into this role when my time is up. We need people like that. We need, we need individuals who are willing to work in movements like the civil rights movement or the Black Lives Matter movement to say, as a white person, as a brown person, whatever the case may be, how do I help amplify the message without being the face of the movement? That is, that is effective and healthy allyship. Um, I can relate it to our LGBTQ community um, as someone who identifies as a part of that community. It is it is always very perplexing to me to see that the spokesperson or the image of our community is often the white man. Mm. And it's like mm, at this point, the white gay males 
um, are a part of the community, but they also have many privileges and they can also be seen as allies in the community. How do we help our, our white LGBTQ brothers and sisters understand that Sometimes they don't need to be the face or the spokesperson for the community, but it's empowering and, and impactful when we see a black or a brown uh, person, uh, LGBTQ or transgender woman even being the face of the movement, because those are faces that are not often seen in these spaces or, in, or recognized. But a good ally recognizes that and takes a step back to amplify that message. Mm-hmm. Yeah, even... You know, yesterday I was driving home from Wichita and my five-year-old son's in the back seat watching YouTube. He watches way too much YouTube, way too much. <laughs> he narrate his own little shows. But he came across some video about the U.S. presidents and mm-hmm. it had a little song and it gave every name and when they served, you know, and um, so it had their picture, you know, that they would show President, President, President. So I'm sitting there listening and it gets to the end, goes all the way up to Joe Biden and that's our president now. I said, yeah, it is. And, you know, me as raising a white son, I said, did you notice anything in common about all those presidents? He said, no. I said, you know, was there something about them that was the same? No, <laughs> he didn't even, I said, were they all men? Were they all boys, you know, like you? Oh yeah. And I said, were most of them white? Hmm. Yeah. You know? And so I said, well, don't you think it would be great if we had people who were different, who were president? Oh yeah. You know, just, that awareness, even like I said, he didn't even, it didn't even cross his mind. You know, he didn't even notice. Mm-hmm. And um, anyway, I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful. So, okay. Talk to me about the youth. Cause you're very passionate about the youth. Yes. And I don't want to take up too much more of your time. I don't uh, I know we're getting kind of close here, but um, you work with the youth every day mm-hmm. and so many people want to disparage and put down the youth, which I mm-hmm. think is like a gardener cussing out his plants. Ah. Like, like that's on you. Like older generations, if you think they're so terrible, that's on you. Mm-hmm, talking mm-hmm. about the youth of today and what you're seeing. Oh my goodness. I, I'm a young person myself. Uh, and in my role at Newman University serving as a director of multicultural engagement, I, I am so blessed to be able to pour into my fellow young people here, but also they pour into me. And I think that's what's so important to know. I mean, I'm 27 years old. My students are in between 18 and and 21 years old as well. Uh, So I I learn from them, you know, Um, there's a six, six year age gap, uh, you know, from the oldest ideal student here to, to me. And they teach me things every single day that perhaps I didn't consider, or perhaps I didn't know anything about. We talk about politics. We talk about the world, the way it is and the way that it should be. I mean, and I believe uh, the most rewarding part of working with my fellow young people is seeing that our future truly is in good hands, but we uh, have got to give them the opportunity to share their dreams and to share their vision and to share their goals and help them achieve them. Um, that is how we recruit and retain talent, but that is how we we highlight to our, our young people that we see greatness in them. You know, during my time at Wichita State as a first-generation college student, um, coming from a low-income community and being poor and all those other things that really just weighed on my self-esteem, it really did, um, I suffered from imposter syndrome asking myself if I was worthy, asking myself if I was capable. And I think sometimes the things people said to me led me to believe I really wasn't. But there was a woman 
who, uh, gosh, like think it makes me kind of like teary eyed even thinking about it, but met her through her daughter who was a student and we worked alongside each other and um, she was participating in an event. And then after that, she became my like mom. And I, I refer to her now as Mama Duggins. And when things got rough in my life, um, things that people saw and things people didn't see, she would always say to me, I see greatness in you. And it would make me uncomfortable at first, um, you know, especially having, having so many insecurities and imposter syndrome, right? Like, what do you mean you see greatness in me? I can't even see greatness in myself. But every single time she saw me and I was going through something in my life, she would listen to me, but then she would also take a moment to say, Joseph, I see greatness in you. So even today, as I was going into my city council interview and wondering what I would say and uh, how I would respond to questions and trying to calm my doubts that I'm not qualified, her voice came to my head. Um, And I heard her say to me, I see greatness in you. So, you know, I think that's what we need to tell our young people. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of them are dealing with situations and even some of them are living in households Mm -hmm. where they hear every day through people's actions that they are not great and that they are not worth the investment. But when we take the time to explicitly say to those young people, despite their shortcomings, despite the fact they may not be a 4.0 student, despite where they come from, when we take the time to say, I see greatness in you, the more and more they hear it, the more and more they believe it. I'm living proof of that. Well, and like you said too, you said, take the time. And I think mm-hmm. that that's, it goes back to relationships and they take time. And I'm, I'm guessing, correct me if I'm wrong, you, you had this relationship, you should say, but her name was Miss Duggins. Gwen Duggins, Mama Duggins. Okay. Um, you know, it sounds to me like you had that you trusted her. You had that oh, yeah. relation because if when you trust somebody and you know they love you and they tell you you're great, if you deny that, you're denying mm-hmm. that person's insight and intuition and you love them and you, you don't want to tell them that. So I think it is so important to, to spend that time and develop those relationships. Oh, yeah. And it was her story that made me trust her. The fact that she had been through similar things that I'd been through in life. She she got me during a time when a lot of people didn't get me. Uh, you know, her and Danielle Johnson, they are are they have poured into me. In unimaginable ways. And ironically, I, I mean, as I go down the list and think of maybe the top five people that have poured into me and really have invested in me, with the exception of one person, they're all women. Mm. And that, that, that is, that says a lot to me, you know, um, all women who have poured into me with the exception of one person, um, who is a man who, who came into my life by virtue of one of the women that, that was mentoring me and invest investing in me. So even that relationship, right. Happened on the strength of the woman that was mentoring me. Oh, this could be a whole other podcast episode, but <laughs> a, a sadness I feel for men mm. for those those lack of connections, that lack of fostering those relationships. They're they, you know they're 
encouraged to be siloed and be strong and and mm -hmm. anyways, it's heartbreaking but like i said i don't want to take up too much of your time i know you're busy but i do want to ask you a few more questions so um this is a new question i want to throw towards my podcast guests um because i i just i know that you have a love of community too but um so i'm going to ask you if you have i should have prepared you for this i'm going to call it the unsolicited lift so okay. nobody asked you to do this but is there an organization or a business um, that has you had great either great service from or they're doing great things to the community, but maybe people don't know about them and you just want to give them a little lift? Is there is there someone or something you can think of? Ooh, let's see. Or maybe more than one. <laughs> so the one that I I really, really appreciated, my partner and I moved into our house uh, almost a year ago. And um, our house needed some tender loving care. And so we were like, we don't have Buku money to call a lawn care company to come out and do this professional work. Who can we call? And so we ended up calling Quality Lawn Care. Um, and it is a minority owned business by, uh, he, it's owned by a young man named Rogelio Martinez or Roger Martinez. Um, and he is someone that is a hard worker. He loves what he does. He came out, he was professional and, you know, he does, he does great work. Um, so I would love to give him a lift. And if people are needing yard work, their grass cut, or, you know, wanting to reimagine their backyard and what that looks like in terms of uh, lawn care, uh, he is amazing. And I just want to thank him for being a, a Hispanic or minority owned business owner that is going into the community with the intent to, to, to do what he does because he loves doing mm -hmm. it, not because he wants to make a buck. Mm -hmm. Oh, I love that. Ah, I love it. Yes. So, um, kind of one of my business that I have is testify.love and it's about try to help businesses tell their stories to their customers, give their customers testimonials. And I, I chose dot love as the end of my website because that's what it's all about. It's like when you bring that love to your business and you perform that service or that product for other people out of a place of love, I mean, you're going to get people singing your praises. Um, and, but like you said, those people that don't always have a lot of money to lift, you know, to advertise their business. And so, right. so we'll definitely put them on blast. <laughs> along with your pocket. They check them out. Okay. One more question for you. It's a fun, super fun question. Okay. Um, what is your hype song? Like, Ooh, you know, oh my gosh. <laughs> coming out on stage. Like what's the song that lifts you up? Oh my gosh. Oh, so, okay. When you said coming out on stage, okay. So I listen to this song all the time. It's by a local group, or I believe they were a local group. I don't know if they are still together, but it's called uh, Power In Light and E-N-L-I-G-H-T. And their song, Believe, is, oh my gosh, the lyrics of that song. It's just, it is so inspiring and so uplifting and so everything. Uh, it, it says, I believe in you more than you do. I see right under, over, and through you. Take a chance on yourself when you do. Um, you'll be so proud when you do finally believe. Oh. And I mean, when I'm feeling down, I play that song and it's it's got a cool little country rock to it, but also a little, I don't know, it's like a weird mixture of R&B and country and soul. I mean, I, I love it. Okay. I love it. Well, I'm going to put together like a playlist of everybody's hype songs. It's so funny because people have such different 
things that get them inspired and get them um, lifted up. I love that. I love the lyrics just a little bit you described to me. So I'm definitely going to look that up. And yes, yes, please. That's awesome. Okay. Okay. So I did have a chance to look up that group. I had a little bit of a hard time finding it. So the name is a little bit different um, than what Joseph said. The, the name is In Power and Light. So just flipped around there. Um, it's like he said, E-N-P-O-W-E-R and light. And, um, so when I first started listening to the song, I wasn't sure if it was the same one that Joseph had described, but then it really just, um, kicks into its energy. And I can totally see that being just such a great hype song, um, an uplifting song. And so I'm really glad he brought it to my attention. It's been taken again. It's been taken again I believe in you more than you do I see what runs under, over and through you Okay, yep, that just might be my new jam. Absolutely love that song. Definitely encourage you to check it out. Okay, well, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Um, Thank you for your spirit and your light in the community and for everything you bring. Thank you for choosing to love. <laughs> and, um, you know, I just uh, am grateful for, for this conversation. Thank you so much, Kat. I really appreciate it. And thanks for the opportunity to chat with you today. All right. Take care. I'll talk to you soon. You as well. Bye. You know, I'm just going to say that mamas are always right. And like Joseph said, Mama Duggins told him, he has greatness within him. And I absolutely agree with her. And um, I think after listening to this podcast, you probably agree too. I hope you've been inspired and encouraged to continue to choose love in the face of circumstances we find ourselves in life. Um, it's not always the easy choice, but it's most certainly the brave one. You can find this episode's show notes at catpullen.com and connect with me on Facebook, Cat Pullen Author and Storyteller, or Twitter or Instagram at Cat Pullen. Thank you so much for listening today, and I encourage you to subscribe to the podcast so you're notified when new episodes come out. And as always, reviews are appreciated. <laughs>